Well, Dave, here we go again. And uh, you just said before we did this, you're putting your clicky pen away this week. So <laughs> no more background pen, pen noise. Uh, Hey, great news. It's a bit rainy here in Cincinnati today, so there's also no lawnmowers. So for you that only listen yes. to our podcast for the soothing sound of <laughs> leaf blowers and lawnmowers, I'm sorry, you'll have to do with the dulcet tones of our voices today. <laughs> I know, last week you, you had this a combination between a lawnmower, a weed eater, and a leaf blower in, in the background, and literally it was for about an hour and a half. And so I was just... I said, when you go out that side, sidewalk, it better be spotless. So yeah, it was the, the crew around here is pretty thorough. So I guess <laughs> it's, it works both ways. So for those of you, of you that don't know, Dave works at a Bible college, and I work as a full-time freelance writer. And so neither one of us are in full-time, uh, quote-unquote, pastoral ministry. And one of the things that we've had we've had a number of conversations on is is how do we engage in our local church. A number of weeks ago, I got, had the opportunity to interview Jeff Christofferson uh, for some PhD research that I'm doing. And after that conversation, I thought, man, I really want to bring him on and have a conversation around this whole idea, kind of a term that he talks about a lot, a co-vocational ministry and how to leverage your job and the things that you do, you know, your nine to five a job throughout the week. How do you leverage that to advance the kingdom? So that's that's kind of the mindset behind this. Um Dave, what are your thoughts going into this? Well, just in, in kind of uh, poking around a little bit, I'd highly recommend uh, if you're a pastor or if you're just a nine-to-five worker and and looking for more information than what we share today, I'd highly recommend going to sendinstitute.org among some other places, which we'll, we'll drop in the comments. Um, but I've just found some of the video content there and the writing to be fascinating and yeah. very practical. And uh, I just can't wait to chat with them today. All right, let's do it. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkopf. Well, Jeff Christofferson, thank you for joining the podcast. And as we said before, the, the uh, as we were talking off air, our intro is much cooler than this program is. <laughs> It's great to be on. That was a very impressive intro, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. If you throw a few bucks at somebody and they'll they'll play anything for you. Unfortunately, <laughs> some of my students at school, the musicians, they they have been throwing some shade at me for this intro. Uh, I don't telling, like it. I know, well, they say it's way too cool for me. So <laughs> I don't, like a five movement right. Mahler symphony. Uh, it's true. Right. But, <laughs> Quick bio, Jeff Christofferson is the executive director of Church Planning Canada, co-founder of the SEND Institute, as David mentioned in the intro as well. He's a co-vocational pastor of the Sanctuary in Oakville, Ontario, not far outside of uh, Toronto, Ontario, where I lived for several years. Uh, and his latest book is titled, he's author of multiple books, but his latest book, uh, Venal Dogmata, uh, Parable of the Future Church. And he's a weekly columnist for Christianity Today. His column is called Missio Mondays, where he examines key missiological issues uh, affecting church planning and evangelism within North America. And so, Jeff, off air, I said, we've got to keep away from any uh, crazy terms that people aren't going to understand. So uh, this word missiological, maybe we should just start there. Um, what is it? What led you down this path? Explain that term a little bit yeah. and how you got in, how you founded the Send Institute, uh, co-founded the Send Institute, and how that all no, came about. Okay, well, um, honestly stumbled into it. I um, I planted a, a series of churches, <clears throat> planted a church in, 
in Oakville. And we were catching a lot of, um, we were just reaching a lot of people that had no um, church background, no religious memory, no, in fact, that was, and I had a lot of people who were pl- trying to plant around us and nearly not getting anywhere. And I was, I was trying to explain uh, kind of a little bit of how we approached our, our idea of how we reach people. And, um, and I began to realize, actually, there's, there's so many assumptions that we bring into the mm. church idea that are cultural, they're not biblical, and, um, and they're actually barriers. And, uh, and, I, and, and so I ended up writing a little book called Kingdom Matrix. And uh, it started out as a napkin <laughs> at a coffee shop with lots of conversations with church planters who were struggling. And, and I was sort of just diagramming why, why their message isn't, isn't even finding an audience. And, um, and from there, I, uh, I moved, long story short, I moved to uh, start something called the, the Send Network, which is part of the North American Mission Board. And it's the church planting idea. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where I began to realize, I think I, I see things a little differently than maybe a lot of people. And I kind of see the background to it and uh, not just the application of it. And, um, and so and it could be because I was forced to, I've been planting in, in a place where um, there is no advantage, social advantage at all to be a Christ follower. In fact, it's just a list of disadvantages. And, um, and so socially that is in, in terms of culture. And, uh, and if you can, if you can figure out how to reach people when, it, when every disciple pays a price to be a disciple, um, mm. there's a, uh, there's probably some, some things to learn in that context. And so the biggest difference between Oakville, where you live currently, and then you've lived in the States as well, I think mm-hmm. was, I'm guessing the Atlanta area. Was that correct? That's correct. Alpharetta. Okay. Yep. Um, biggest difference between the two locations in terms of how you approach the gospel. Uh, I think, I think, um, the biggest difference would be that there there's more scorched earth there's more um, firsthand negative experiences with Christians, and um, and so people's objections to to the gospel are um, they're they're founded in a story or at least a, a, a you know my mother experienced this or my auntie experienced this or I experienced that, and where I planted there there was no real emotional objections to the gospel. It was more intellectual objections. And, uh, and so in some ways you're starting, you're starting with less knowledge, but you're not starting with, with, um, you're starting in the further ahead of the game in sort of the emotional response, I think. So for someone that hears what you just said and said, some of these things are a barrier and they're cultural and they're not biblical, uh, would you feel comfortable sharing a couple of examples of things that are cultural and not biblical. One of the things that I wrote down doing extensive research this morning, um, (laughs) you said, uh, actually it was a video, I think it might've been Ed Stetzer, mission expands when ecclesiology is flexible. And uh, just talk a little bit about that flexibility. What's a, what would be a barrier that you would say, you know, that's not biblical, that's cultural, and we need to be flexible about this so that the gospel can be, move forward in this community where we're trying to plant. Yeah, well, 
I, I could start the very basics. F culturally, um, there is an equivalency in evangelicalism that the church is the worship service. No, most people mm. would not, um, you know, if they thought about it, they go, yeah, I know that's not quite right. But, um, but for most most church planters really are are if you look at their their plant or their idea that they're they're going after it it's really how do i establish a, a worship service that um eventually will pay for the bills and um that's not a way that you can if that is the the way that we go about it it, it's not a way that you're going to appeal to a person who's generationally. <laughs> there's no guilt yeah. in not going to um, um, church. They they drive by an empty church building and they have as much curiosity about what's going on that as you would if you're driving by the Buffalo Lodge or something. It's just <laughs> just not really uh, uh, it's not really tweaking any any things inside them. And so. Um, that that is you know the, the very basis of the thing is is really our you know the for many Christians that's the primary thing is that worship service and um, in fact you sure see this in COVID right now with this pandemic and the the shutting down of churches in terms of worship services and experiences and um, and many pastors and leaders are wringing their hands thinking you know we no longer have a church. Well, if a, a virus can can sort of wipe you out from being a church and doing what a church does, then perhaps our idea wasn't very strong. It's mm. interesting. I was just watching an interview with, I think it was Kerry Newhoff, David Kinnaman, and um, and Rick Warren. And that was one of the points Rick Warren made, uh, of course, the, the purpose-driven church. And I think he's got five different levels, right? But he mentioned that worship is just one aspect of, for him, and being a purpose-driven church. And so when you take away that, gathering together, you know, uh, the congregational worship side of things that affects one aspect, but then you have the discipleship aspect and evangelism. You have all these things that can still take place. And so I I'm just curious, one of the things that you mentioned, okay, I'll just pull up an article you wrote for Christianity today back in, I think it was December of 2020. You said, when culture is tilted toward the church, we instinctively know what to do. We position ourselves as a preferred or at least viable alternative. But I think what a lot of Christians are realizing now is that culture and a statistic recently came out, right? That's saying that in, in the U S specifically, uh, the numbers drop below 50% of people that are attached to a local church congregation. And so what do you do when the culture is really tilted against the church? Cause as you've experienced firsthand um, in Canada. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really what we're talking about is, is there's a, you know, we, we wring our hands, and um, but really, what we're in a moment right now. If you've ever read Charles Taylor, um, he wrote a book called *The Secular Age*. Um, he he's a, a philosophy. He's not even. A, I won't. He, he doesn't really profess to be a, a Christian, mm -hmm. and um, he uh, and yet he gives a better picture, I think, of 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 the day that we're in right now. If you if you define our terms, so we're all talking the same idea. The word secular is the one we're you know familiar with, and that's kind of this you know if it's not sacred, it's secular. We have these two categories, and so someone can sense God's call to be a a um, nurse from thirteen years old, and and. And that person grows up and gets training and goes and and um, and and in many ways in the strength of Christ 
um, serves in that hospital and is a leader in, in the church that she's a part of. And um, we would still see that as a secular kind of thing. And, um, and so there's these two differentiating things. Then, then you put an ism behind it and, um, and you have secular ism. Whenever you have an ism in there, you have a belief system. And so from the 1960s in, until, well, depending where you live, but probably in much of the United States until, you know, the mid 2010, somewhere around there, there was this idea that um, atheism would sort of squash Christianity, would squash religion, and 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 sort of this this secularism is the clearing of any any kind of god in a in a society, creating this religiously neutral environment, and uh, and a lot of a lot of Christians think that we're living there, and we are not living there. We're living actually in a third um, place, and that is secularity. And, uh, and in that environment, it, it's secularism is one of the belief systems in a pluralism kind of environment. And, uh, and so the, the thing that we're, I think, which, which is important out of that little, <laughs> little conversation is that for the first time, um, really Christianity doesn't have home field advantage culturally. And, um, and so what the place that we're in right now is, and I think this is important, is that every ism, including Christianity, has to sing for its supper, has to prove that it is valid, that it is true. And, um, and so the, the, our apologetic is no longer, um, you know, this is true on this rational argument, because that's kind of where, where the modern mind went and, and really not many of your neighbors are asking, you know, which is the true religion? They're, they're really saying, is there a system out there that will help me? <laughs> is yeah. there, is there something out here that works? And, um, and I think that's where we have the opportunity to um, not have a cultural home field exam uh, advantage, but to have a legitimate theological and sort of supernatural <laughs> home field advantage because of the fact of the, of the truth of the gospel. It, it does work. And the kingdom of God really is this, this picture where um, God, we were made for the kingdom. I mean, the environment, relationships, uh, it, marriage, family, everything was made. And when King Jesus gets his way, it, everything works, you know? Mm. And, uh, and so um a Christian who now says, I'm actually going to be serious. I'm not just going to be, you know, I love your Monday morning idea. <laughs> your Monday, we're no longer just going to be a um, Sunday Christian and do the duties that, that, that are involved in that, but actually let the, the transformation of the gospel pervade my life and show that I am a disciple. And, and so the marks of, of, of my life then become Elijah calling down fire on the, mm. on the altar. This is yes. the truth. And you can see it because my, yeah. our family is different than every other family on the yes. street. And it's not because we're religious. Yes. And so um, it gives us an opportunity to really show our colors, I think. Yes. The Lord, he is God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amen. Uh, so my, qu my question would be then, if you're ministering to somebody, say, if Jeff, if you were a plumber and you were talking to your, your plumber friend on the job and he asked you or you were trying to answer the question for him, you know, why are you a Christian? What, you know, what's up with all the church stuff? I think the modern mind would have uh, 
gone, uh, you know, the, the 14 reasons that Jesus rose from the dead and that it wasn't a fraud, and, uh, and some of these like, uh, apologetics things, which are not unnecessary or unhelpful necessarily, but I hear you saying that might not be as compelling to somebody that's uh, like you're describing in this current context. So what would you say if someone was like, hey, I want you to do a two, three minute video on why you're a Christian? Where would you go? How would you dialogue with that person? Yeah, so I, I would. In fact, um, there is a there is a there seems to be residual wiring in the life of of all of God's creation. You know, the people that he, we're created with His thumbprint. We are image bearers of Him, broken image bearers. But there is a flickering of of when they there's this in fact ecclesiastes describes it as god has put eternity in our hearts yes. and uh, and yet they cannot understand from the beginning from the end and uh and so i start there i st i usually start with this this um kingdom um ethic that why are you um willing to take your saturday off and and go and in involve yourself in this thing or why are you why are you um giving giving generously to this other thing or why are you teaching your children you know these these really important kind of character kingdom things and uh and, and start and start where they are and with the things they value and then in that conversation um talk about you know you know that that, that were um we're living um, this this kingdom idea comes from a king, and gives us an opportunity to present the gospel. Um, the the place the place where I live, um, you know, every time I share the gospel, without without every time, I, I get back because uh, I live in a very pluralistic country and society. Yep. And, uh, and I get, well, you know, I, I think that if there's a God, you know, cause they're gotta, they see a, a, a Muslim person across the street who is very, you know, authentic in his faith and they see a Hindu person and they see it, they see yeah. everything all around them. They go to work with them. They see good people around them. And, uh, and so they, they come to the logical, if they're emotionally healthy, they come to the logical conclusion that if there's a God, all, all these roads must lead to the same place. And, and I don't disagree with them. Now, hang with me here. I don't disagree with them. I, I, I say, yes, I agree with you that all religions lead to the same place then, and um, including the Christian one, and that is away from God. And, um, but, but Jesus didn't come to start a religion with his name on it. He, he came to fix a problem that religion could never fix. And then I can talk about this desires, this desires that they have, that they're, they're being sidetracked by sin in their own life and, uh, and get, get an opportunity to share the gospel of how Jesus on the cross, you know, paid the penalty of that sin and uh, gives us an opportunity for forgiveness and redemption. And, and, and so I don't enter that conversation um, arguing with them. I, end, I enter that conversation agreeing with them and then taking them. It's almost like Paul um, saying, let me yes. tell you about the unknown God that you, yeah. you are. Yeah, and I just yeah. take that thing that's in their heart and take them a few steps further. So you mentioned the unknown God. So my question would be, eventually in that conversation, he leads them up to the resurrection and 
he kind of gets laughed at by a bunch of them, but a few believed. Yep. So how often, so where's the, where's the balance between uh, not coming out and using uh, Christian information as ammunition, um, but also being real about the, uh, the, the reality of, of rejection and the, the, the folks that will eventually, when, you, when, you're, when the time comes to be very clear about some core things, uh, that you, you may be rejected, that you may be laughed at, uh, you may be, uh, you know, in some places in the world, certainly not here, but you might be persecuted. Right. Yeah. I would come out if, okay, so I'm right now in Toronto, in Canada. You're, you two are on the other side of the border. Um, I would come up with a sort of an ecclesial praxis, a idea that is right on the border of our two countries. Let me. Okay. <laughs> okay. St- the stereotypical picture that um, we have of American evangelicalism is, you know, share the force, keep spiritual laws, you know, keep, if, if there's no response, you know, keep moving. And, um, and then on this side of the border, it is build that relationship, build that relationship, build that relationship, build that relationship, and never get to the gospel because you might offend that relationship. And, um, and, uh, and I, I, I really just think that it, it is for the average everyday Christian, it is building that relationship and you know, sharing the gospel. And so it is that um, intentional grace and truth, which no one gets to see. People get to see truth, 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 and, um, but never get to feel and experience Jesus's grace. And, or mm. they get the sort of Oprah version of everything and never get some truth. And, uh, and so I think that when a, a lost person sees someone with kind eyes and, um, and a gentle countenance and, um, and sharing very clearly their own story and the truth of Jesus Christ, it, it's different. Most people stop and pay attention mm. to that and because they they've they've had a you know thousands of conversations that year but never one like that one and um and it really it, i think it really puts them on a mini decision closer to deciding uh, lock stock and barrel am i gonna follow jesus christ or not Dave, I want to go here because this is kind of an interesting subject because you work at a Bible college and you work with a lot of young people that are coming to faith in Christ. And so I'm just curious. So if you're, Jeff, if you would be, um, if you have, I don't know what age uh, your kids are, but if, if you have kids that are getting ready to go to college university age, do you encourage them to go to a Christian college? I mean, I guess it all depends on, on what they feel the call of God to do. But in general, if someone comes up to you and they say, hey, I've got this skill set, right? And I want to be a nurse or a doctor, but I'm kind of not totally feeling like I'm equipped in the faith. Uh, traditionally, I've always heard, well, okay, they need to go to a year of Bible college. And oftentimes what I've seen just from personal observation is that sometimes the pressures that are put on them to go into full-time Christian ministry and that that idea of becoming a doctor or, or, mm. or a professor sometimes gets pushed to the side because that's not quite at the elevated level of being hmm. a pastor or a missionary or, or th- some things like this. And then my, my challenge would be is that we end up getting a lot of people that they get feeling stuck because they get doing something that they don't, they're not really good at. 
and they don't have that professional degree to where they can make a lot of money in say like a, a urban environment. And so they end up having to basically be pushed to the outskirts of taking, taking an, an, another job that is not specifically in, in their gift set. And so there's, it's kind of like this thing that they just feel that this pressure that to, to push the, it, it be pushed into a box that they're never, they never quite fully, uh, fully fit. And so what would be your encouragement to someone who's 17, 18, and they're thinking of starting out and they want to make a difference in society? Yeah. What do you challenge them to do? First of all, <clears throat> get your th sort of get a, a, a good theological bearing on this subject, which is so important that you're, you're bringing out. Um, a lot of us have, you know, what is it? Charles Spurgeon said, and I don't often disagree with anything Charles Spurgeon says. I certainly do on this one. Um, it says, uh, if God called, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase it. If God calls you to be a, a minister, don't stoop so low to become a king. Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's just terrible, terrible theology in my, in my, this, this, this differentiation of clergy and, um, and laity and having these two things, which yes. is nowhere in scripture. In fact, yep. the opposite is everywhere in Scripture, and um, and so this this formalization of you know a, of a cleric that um, gets sort of special rights and privileges, um, you know, I it's it's it, I, I can see in our history why people wanted to do that, and it, it did give some advantages, but now there's just disadvantages to the title, <laughs> you know, generally. Well, like how um, so? What's that? How so? I mean, I'm familiar well, with that, but how would you say? Yeah, so like uh, my neighbors here, I'm, I'm, I, you know, we're working to, you know, build relationships. We moved into this neighborhood a couple of years ago when we moved back to Canada, and um, and so you know, they they understand. They go, well, you're a missiologist, and I let I, I ride with that one because they don't know what it means, and <laughs> um, and I don't tell them I'm, I'm the pastor of a church. I, I that's not where I lead with. Because yeah. that's Im immediately, you know, putting up it. All, it has always put up some kind of barriers, but right now, it, it, um, the evangelical reputation is so bad. It is, you know, it's put so much dust between us and uh, Jesus that um, that oh, it's just so much, so much apologizing I have to do ever to to get to where I need to go. That. Um, I think I think when you you look at an everyday disciple, um, someone who has been you know sensed like all right, I, I do want to have a kingdom impact. I do want to have an eternal impact. I do want when I when I go to heaven not to have the sort of second class seat. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want the well done, good and faithful servant, and. Yes. Um, and uh, and and um, but but God has gifted me in these ways, and uh, and and so I think if you're you're talking to that student who is thinking about this, I would say do not go to a Christian college. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, in fact, my my kids never went to a um, Christian school like or a Christian university, and uh, and and they're involved in ministry, and. Um, I, I just think I think it, if you are learning, have to learn how to um, share the reality of your faith to people that don't share your worldview. It, it's really an important 
process and, and sort of discipline to live in that milieu and, mm. and swim in it. And, and, uh, and if you can't, if you're in the bubble, Christians, 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 and then, uh, and then figure out how do I talk to my neighbor who doesn't, you know, it's just, uh, it becomes very difficult. So in follow up to that, do you feel like uh, Christian colleges on the whole, so you don't have to speak specifically, uh, obviously I, I work at one, and uh, but do you, do you feel like, no, that's totally cool. Uh, so do you feel like we spend too much time teaching, like what, uh, as a, maybe an outsider kind of looking in, do we, what are the criticisms on, uh, that you would, that you would give us? For example, do we spend too much time teaching, um, h- how to fight with other Christians about specific matters of doctrine yeah. or some, you know, like what are, what are the common things that you're like, actually you're, you're making things worse guys. You're not helping. What, what are some of the criticisms you'd lobby? And I, I don't, I don't even know if I would want be feel comfortable or feel knowledgeable enough to make such a generalization. I yeah. think um, the thing that really, I, I, I think when, when I, when I, I thought of this when my kids were smaller and uh, we thought Christian school and I, we came to the decision um, more out of not, not, um, how do I say this kindly? Not out of a mission. Like I want them to be good missionaries in the school. I was actually thinking when they were younger, I was thinking, I want them to be able to tell the difference between light and darkness. And, um, and so if they have a teacher that is teaching something and they come back and we're debriefing that, I can say, well, that the reason that teacher says this is this is you know this is their worldview this is how they think and um and in darkness in a sense this is this is what you get and uh but it comes a lot more confusing to a, a christian when a christian teacher in a christian school is is living a life that's not sold out for christ it's kind of lukewarm and mm. um, and you're around a uh, a, a lot of students that might be, you know, very similar in terms of their passion for Christ. It's it's hard to help your your son or your daughter interpret that and say, well, you you need to be different than that. <laughs> well, I think that you know the the trend is I'm going to run with those people because that seems normal to me, and um, and so for us, we just made that decision that we really want our kids to see the difference between light and darkness, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. David, it's interesting. We were texting back and forth a little bit uh, this week and we were talking about, uh, I think you listened to an interview with Francis Chan and he was talking about how his years in uh, seminary, I think, were actually very difficult. Like they were they were hard because there were years where he felt like a sense of pride and things like that. And uh, I text back, uh, my years uh, in a Christian Bible college were very positive. Um, but as I look back on that, one of the things I think that the reason that was the case was, and I messaged you this, was because sometimes I took yeah. a few A minuses and Bs. And I explained that, that there were a numbers of times um, when I remember it was a Tuesday night and there'd be a local ministry downtown. I'd go and hang out with uh, some yeah. of the guys playing basketball and things like that. And I'd take time to do that sometimes over top of getting an A in a class. Um, and looking back at the time, I remember that I kind of did that with a little bit of a sense of shame. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, but this thr- this mm. this helps me go to class because when I go to class, I'm like, okay, 
now I understand why, like it, conne- it connects. And I think, I guess for me, as I'm listening to you share, Jeff, I, I feel like if someone is in a Bible college, Christian university, I think not that they have to, you know, go my path and get bees, but, um, that, that, or worse. You, yeah, or worse. Yes. <laughs> I know. I thought, one of my earlier professors or earlier classes, I remember getting like, I think it was like a D in Pentateuch and the, um, paper was scribbled back with a caption and like circled and the word uh, mercy like exclamation point right <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm that guy um but like yeah so i think that that's what's one of the keys right is is that if people are listening and watching and they go to a christian university or a college not becoming so isolated to where when you step out after four or five years that you are so far removed from culture that you don't even know how to communicate the message that you have and so i guess jeff just, just kicking it back to you on this note what would you say to the person that's already in Bible college? A, who, what, what is, um, uh, you know, what is the advantages of Bible college, Christian university? And what would you say to person who feels a call to go into the ministry? What do you say to that person? I I would say, um, you can't pull yourself out of the body of Christ, sideline yourself for a number of years and expect to be inserted back into the body of Christ and be of any use. Hmm. Um, You you have to, while you're in that experience of education, figure out how how do I become, stay part of the body of Christ? How do I, because that's where, you know, I I teach, I'm not against Christian institutions. In fact, tomorrow I'm teaching at a seminary all day. And, um, and, um, but I can tell you, in an instant, I, I would take me five minutes, not well, maybe a lot, 30 minutes to size up the class and find out who's in ministry and who's not. And I don't have to ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, like, what's I that look read, like? I'm just curious. Like, what, yeah. how, how do you know that? Yeah, I can read their body language because I'm teaching the kind of courses I teach are, um, are, you know, missiology. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, it's intensely practical. Everything has a practicality to it, and there's some theory, but the theory immediately goes to practicality. Mm-hmm. And um, and the people that are in ministry are are taking down notes, and they're like this, and they're asking questions, and they're you yeah. know they're leaning forward. And the people that are in it for their degree are are leaning back, and they're and mm-hmm. they're writing down. This looks like a list. This might be on the test. I'm going to write these things down. And um, and you can just see it. And and uh, and yeah. And, and so many times where, you know, I've, I've gone and um, be at a seminary place and, and I'm speaking at a chapel and then they have me at a, at a, at a luncheon somewhere with students and then maybe an interview or two with potential church planters or whatever. And you get the vibe that you are being um, interviewed and, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's like, like the hubris that sometimes walks around in uh, parades around in, in these institutions is really discouraging. And, um, and so if you are that church, you are that student sensing a call to ministry, you cannot sort of pull yourself away from church like 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 leadership in the church investing in the church working in the church you can't you can't just sort of attend sunday morning and and get first in line to the cafeteria afterwards and you know think that's really gonna uh, mm-hmm. because the the most important stuff you're going to learn probably is going to be how you take this theological education you're learning yes. and roll up your sleeves and uh and and see how it works mm. 
Ezra, sorry. Boom. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking co-vocational Ed, ministry. Like I, I yeah. want to hear him, hear him share on that. That's my, where my, I'm going. What are you thinking? Yeah. So just one, one last question about that. And something I've appreciated as and I are both in school right now, but one of the things that, um, what, where I'm at every, every paper I write every semester has an, um, an intense, uh, component in one of the, one of the things they say is we don't want you to be displaced from your, your ministry context. So you can't just write about, I don't Maundy Thursday and the church year and blah blah blah. You have to go back to your context and figure out how I can integrate some portion of that there. Um, and I just feel, I feel like that would be such an antidote to the the made the pride of information. Like knowledge puffs up. You sit there and you just you become a sermon taster or. Uh, this corporate worship is not historically formed enough, and just everything is like this checklist thing. And I, I have found that to be intensely helpful. So hmm. I say amen to what Jeff said. Like, stay plugged into the local body and and love love the church that God has placed you in, and don't pull out just to to read books. Read the books too. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, Ez. no, I, I I'm I'm all on board, and I say this as someone who went to church with the Greek and a Hebrew Bible and evaluated the pastor basically, you know, and like totally removed, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I was kind of that, I'm kind of that nerd, right? This in, is internally. your opportunity to repent for that. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yes. <laughs> Oops. And, and now Siri's talking to me, um, but I want to get into <clears throat> vocational ministry. Yeah. W what does that look like? Why that term? 2015, um, I, I was leading the SEND network, and um, we were watching. We plant about six to 700 churches across North America every year. Um, a lot of them, after a five-year um, funding stream, a lot of those planters would um, not be financially self-sustaining from the church that they started. And, um, and so they'd, they'd take a job you know, Starbucks or driving the school bus or whatever. And many places feel like a loser. Um, mm. They they felt like they didn't succeed. And, um, and they were actually planting in hard soil. They didn't have any, any advantages. They went in as a cold start. They, they didn't have a bunch of, of Christians that were hiving off from some other place to be a part of their thing. They were, they were going into a hard place and they did some incredible things, but they felt like a loser. And um, and we just began to realize that there was it was like almost half of our plants. The even though they're viable, you know, we're at ninety one percent are still going after five years. But in in many cases, um, the pastor doesn't have a full time salary from the church, and um, and they're feeling like. Ugh. And then I began to think a little more on that idea and thinking, you know, historically, when you look at the history of the church, um, this, this idea, when it, went, when it happened in movements, when we saw God work in incredible ways, first and second great awakenings, great examples, yep. it was shopkeepers and farmers who didn't stop being shopkeepers and farmers. And, um, and then you look right now, I have the privilege of going around the world and seeing what God's doing. And, uh, and you see, in fact, this last, well, just before this pandemic, I was in Thessaloniki and um, with, with church planning movements from 85 different countries around the world. And in almost every one of those countries, what, in, in some of those difficult places, but the explosion of the church 
compared to what we see happening in North America, it makes us feel like we're tiddlywinks. We're, we, I mean, God is on the move. And what is common again? Amen. Ordinary people not giving up their jobs and having a sacred clerical position, but actually um, working. And so the word we had in was bivocational. And uh, by was, you know, it infers division. You have uh, bisect bifurcate you know these two different ideas and 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 the experience of many of the people are okay i want to be a real pastor but i have to do this job and but as soon as the church grows enough i can get rid of this job and be a real real leader real pastor and i'm, I'm not diminishing that for some people that's good but um we will never ever 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 see a movement in in north america if that is our imagination Mm. It, it's just not going to happen. And, uh, and so the word co-vocation became important. Uh, I remember I got the same brown chair. I'm sitting on this brown chair talking to a guy that I was hiring, Brad Briscoe, to lead our bivocational church planting idea. And we, we didn't want to use that word. We we're saying, what word do we use? And that the idea co came, co-pilot, you know, like it, Latin com means with, you know, you, you have a, 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 a calling in to the world and you have a calling to the church and they're not, they're not different. They're, they're linked together. They're not in opposition to one another. They're actually um, synergistic in, in, in there. And, and it becomes not only the credibility that this world needs right now to see, because uh, pastors have lost, not to the fault of any group of pastors, but we have lost credibility because of a few. And, um, mm. and so the 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 credibility that used to come with that that title is now actually more distancing than anything and um but the credibility of an ordinary person who is working in their field of expertise amongst everyone that they're around is incredible and then it becomes infinitely reproducible and then we throw away the entrepreneurial ubermensch you know like this this picture we have of this superstar rock star pastor that um that everyone wants to try to emulate and um and say no probably if 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 it is the body of christ that we are pursuing that means no one person can be this thing yes and um and so I remember I'm sitting in my office with Alan Hirsch, and he does his A-P-E-S-T from Ephesians 4, 11, 12, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And he goes, Jeff, have you ever thought about this? Was Jesus apostolic? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Was he evangelistic? Yeah, yeah. He was. <laughs> was he a shepherd? Well, good shepherd. Uh, was he prophetic? Yeah, you've heard it say, I say unto you. Yeah. Was he a teacher? Yeah. So Jesus was perfectly all of those things. And, um, and we go, well, is when we think of the body, the person of Christ was, is the body of Christ. You think about the average church, how apostolic is it? How, how committed is it to bring the gospel to places distant yeah. from it? And you go, not very. Mm. And how prophetic is it? How prophetic is the, um, not, you know, speaking the, the, the word of God and, and the truth of God and the integrity of God, the character of God to the situation that they're in. Yeah, no, it kind of reflects culture. It just kind of keeps morphing as culture morphs. 
And um, and then you go um, evangelistic. How evangelistic is the average evangelical church? And if you mean preaching evangelistic sermons to Christians every Sunday, well, pretty evangelistic. But if you mean seeing life-to-death transformations happen on a regular basis, you go, not very. Mm-hmm. And then you go shepherding. How how big is shepherding? Well, okay, that's more that's more important for the average church. And then t- teaching. How how important is teaching? You go. Well, that's really important. Yeah. And um, so we have this little weird slice of who Jesus was in the body of Christ. And, and there's where co-vocationalism can come. Um, like the the Apostle Paul was apostolic before he was a Christian, while he was still a, a terrorist. He, um, he, he felt, you know, he, no one had to wake him up and say, go persecute some Christians. It, you know, that was his personality. When he became a Christian, that same apostolic zeal was part of his, his new calling that he, he was a part of. And so you think about those, those character qualities and, um, and, and, and sort of teaming up co-vocationally leadership. That ref- that together, it's like the King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. Everybody sees the picture imperfectly, but yeah. together, symbiotically, they we began to really see that. So I, I actually, the church that I'm planting, yeah. I'm a part of. I I I I have we're a co-vocational team. I'm the A, and we I have a P and an E and an S and a T. Everyone <laughs> has a full-time job. And um, and it's fun how we take a problem, some a problem that comes up, and we throw it out there. And my answer that I would normally apply to it gets changed a lot by the time everyone else's perspective comes in there. And then our missional communities that we uh, form, we we create that same culture where where we look for the people that are to to make sure those five functions are holistically being fleshed out and lived. And there's all of a sudden a healthy expression of Jesus in in a in a community, and uh, and so when you think about co-vocationalism, you think, okay, I don't have to be all of those functions. I I can just be the one God created me to be, and then I can synergistically link my, link up with others, and um, and I can give twenty percent of my time, and everyone else gives twenty percent of their time, and and together we have. 100 percent we actually have way more than 100 percent that's what i wanted to ask you on real quickly because because that's the pushback people are giving in their minds they're saying so for the person that wants to go into full-time christian ministry they're saying well i was trained for this i want to be paid for this because i spent x number of dollars going to a christian university and we don't want any person just speaking in the platform right and then the person maybe that's sitting in the pew for so to speak they're saying well i'm kind of comfortable mentally they're saying i'm kind of comfortable with one person or a couple people doing the work of the ministry and me supporting when i can on sundays and so how do you switch from that mindset it's a big it's a it's a it's a it's a big task <laughs> um and i and probably for the majority we won't and um i think a lot of i think COVID is helping that you, um, you think yeah. so mm-hmm. i think so Hmm. Um, it's sure, it's sure helping fast forwarding it for us. <laughs> and, um, I think, uh, <sighs> there is a need, uh, it's not a, an either or proposition. It is a both. And we do need, have a need for theologically trained people for someone to say, you know, that's 
smells like antinomianism. I, I've heard that I've seen this before. And uh, this is this is Arianism. I've seen this before. And um, but not everybody needs to know that. Mm. And um, and and so there's like we need we need um, bishops and priests and we need a whole bunch of priests. And right now, all of our priests are acting like bishops and mm. uh, and we don't have we don't have a ground game at all. And so oh. mixed my metaphors a lot there, but no, I like, no, that's good. That's I think it's accurate because I think sometimes too, if you're the Bishop or if you're the guy that likes to talk about Arianism and very uh, important detailed things that somebody needs to know about, you tend to think like everybody needs to know about this. Right. And, uh, that the the mixed the mixed that you did there there's no ground game I think that's that's accurate we have too much do you think it's fair to say there's too much distance between and wow nothing new but distance between the clergy and the people with this this rock star pastor model which I would also say if if we look back in the next last five years maybe it seems like we've had some pretty public destructions of some of that when all of this power and authority and is concentrated in a person. Um, I, I love what you're saying. We don't have time, but what if someone says, you know, we want to move our local church more in this direction, some sort of renewal yeah. moment. Yeah. Do you think there's hope for churches that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, our church is, is declining, and so the solution has got to be, as our senior saints move on, you know, let's get some fifty-some-year-old folks up front and and sing "Shout to the Lord" and more contemporary music, and we'll 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 draw some people in. You know, and how do we how do we move people away from that and stuff that to 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 more what you're what you're describing here, Jeff? Yeah, D- Dave, I just got to tack on that real quick because because that that's my challenge too. As I'm listening to you share, Jeff, is that I've heard different churches say, especially during the COVID season, okay, this is God's wake-up call, but when COVID goes away. And is that really going to change things? And so that that's kind of my pushback is like, are things really going to switch? And um, I want to respect your time, but just, yeah, speak well, to Dave's I, question of mine. Yeah, so I, I, maybe I'll give you a hint just from my perspective. Um, so Send Institute, partnering with uh, Christ Together, when the pandemic just started, we started um, uh, some coaching cohorts where we had 1,600 churches um, in in uh, cohorts, um, trying to prepare them, and these churches would would as a group represent churches that would probably be leaning forward into the missional conversation, leaning forward into the you know they're if they're associating with us you know they're they're not satisfied with the way you know everything, and um, but it would it, this is not scientific but my observation is probably of that those 1600 only 25% of them 75% of them were really looking for homeostasis they were going to go back to <laughs> exactly rubber band as quickly as they can back to what yep. they were 25% you know thought yeah no I'll, we'll make some changes but actually only about 10% did and okay. so from that leading edge of 1,600 churches, I would say 90% of them are go- trying their dead level best to get back to where they were. Hmm. So, um, so it gives me a little hope that 10% are actually, were, began to make some right. structural changes to, um, yeah. to, to 
I can't remember what your question was. I was no, I went, this yeah, no, this the, you're answering it well. I, I, I guess here's I'll just share kind of wrap up real quickly. Like this is how your I would say your your thought process, like co-vocational ministry and things like that, is changing mm -hmm. my perspective. When I planted a number of years ago in in Toronto, uh, pastor there for five years, um, I had a lot of this backwards, and I just I just I'm very open with that that I. Um, I just, I, I went in and, in my perspective in the playing the long game and how to strategize effectively in a community, especially that is not open and receptive to the gospel. Um, but there was just a lot of flaws that I had. And so when I would think in the future of potentially doing this again, cause I'm a church planner at heart, um, there's so much of this, and I, and I think a big thing that I take away is this whole co-vocational side of things. That yes, maybe there is a, an opportunity for full time if, if that works, great. But that we have a deep need to share that me not giving a hundred percent and scaling that back and trusting that God can use my thirty percent, twenty percent, along with other people's thirty and twenty percent, is more might be more effective in the long run in an urban environment, especially where people are more hostile to towards the gospel mm. or apathetic towards the gospel, that might be more effective in the long run yeah. than just saying, okay, here's two or three people, let's support them financially and hope yeah, for that sure. it comes together. So that's, for, for that's a wholesale, where my going. Yeah. For a wholesale change, I think um, normally we go towards, you know, what what does this new thing need to look like? And 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 we come up with, you know, reconstruction how do we construct this this new idea and uh and i think we've seen enough that that cannot happen i think there has to be deconstruction first uh, there has mm. to be sort of an unraveling and uncovering unlocking and understanding this deconstruction this shared perception this awareness that that we have taken the reformation we've taken the 16th century that included christendom included mm. this this common worldview, different perspectives of it, but a kind of a Christianese thing. And we have taken that and brought that to our, our world today. And, mm. uh, but we're not in that world. We're in a first century world. And yes. uh, the, the, Christ, the, the 16th century didn't have to include mission. The first century was all about mission. And, um, and so we, we unravel and we uncover and we lock and we begin to understand that this perspective of church we had is wrong, has been wrong, it has been wrong for a long time. And there's this metanoia that has to happen, this this yes. repentance, this defining moment of clarity and conviction, this uh, eureka, this aha, uh, you know, we kind of can see things for what they are. And then we can have a new paradigm and platform yes. things and practice them and perform them. But there has to be a breaking of, of something that is like, until you, until you go here and see this, you know, yep. you don't really know what the fresh air is. And then once you do, you just can't live here anymore. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I think that um, there has to be uh, a brokenness amongst a lot of us before we can start building. Mm -hmm. And, yes. um, and I, I think I see some of that. I, I see the humility level go up in a lot of leaders, which I think, I think COVID has helped spiritually for that. I think, I think the church in the West is going to be out of this and in, in, in the years to come is going to be smaller and poorer and um, more powerful. 
Mm. It's funny how those go together, isn't it? Man. Yeah. More poor, more powerful. Jeff, if, if people want to find not, not just you and your resources, cause they can just Google your name and, and you're all over the place. But if some, if people want to take this conversation to the next level, um, what are some places, things that you've written that you would point them to that they should go to? I, I think I wrote, uh, there's a little book, you mentioned it called Venal Dogmata, and it's a two hour read, hour and a half read. And, uh, and it's a, it's a narrative of, uh, I, I wrote a larger book. It's in peer review right now for on North American missiology. And basic, I take 10 dysfunctions that I see in, in why we're not winning. And I go into the history of those 10 things and look at decisions we made mm-hmm. on those ideas that cause us to think the way we think. And then, uh, and then I look to the future and say, um, you know, biblical course corrections we got to make. And, um, and I wove those 10 ideas into this little narrative of an inner city church in Philadelphia that is on its last days. And, uh, and then it, mm-hmm. it, it birthed into this movement and looked at, you know, what happened to make that. So, and co-vocationalism is central to that. It's funny. You mentioned that I've got not only those 10, but so many other links that you have things in my notes here that I wanted to ask you on, but um, man, so we'll have to bring you back on for another hour sometime. I, I just, man, I appreciate this so much. And your yes. perspective, I just want you to know, like your perspective really has, has shifted a lot, like the mindset that I have and, mm. and it's really made a positive impact in my life. And, and oh, Dave, I know Lord. we've had some great yeah. conversations from this as well. So thank you so much. Re- really, really, really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 